Lisa likes the window seat at night, the lights below that tell her she's nearly home. Then there's the lights she can't see, the runway lights we power to bring her plane safely into land. And because at Energia we also power all of Ireland's streetlights, Lisa's taxi home is that bit safer too. And no prizes for guessing who powers her house. Welcome home, Lisa. Energia, the power behind your power. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson, fresh back from the NFL Combine. Matt, how was it? It was a blast. Um, I had It's my second year going as a media member. I went with Steeler Nation Radio, and we had a five-hour show every day I was there. I was only on for three of those. But it's weird, and I remember you and I having this exact conversation about 365 days ago. I know less about the combine when I've gone these last two years than when I sit in my lazy boy and watch it all because I'm at radio row. I mean, I'm not in there watching drills. We, we see players. We talk to players. I mean, we sat down with Greg Cosell and Adam Kaplan and all kinds of people in the business. And you go out in the bars and restaurant at night and see people. It's a blast, but I'm not on top of the times as much as I usually am. It's weird. Yeah, that, that has to be an interesting di- dynamic. I did see, I, I can't remember who tweeted this, but maybe it was Dane Brugler, I believe. He said, I learn a little bit during the combine. I learn a little bit in, in the daytime and I learn a lot at night, I think. Is yeah, well, well said. Well uh, said. Yeah, I, I destroyed that, but we'll I, I thought... I thought that was interesting, just uh, what goes on, the nightlife, and uh, I guess after hours there in Indianapolis with coaches and GMs and scouts and players and, and agents just really all landing in this one this one spot for a week. Yeah, it's kind of like the NFL annual convention. You know, like, you know how realtors have conventions and every realtor in the country goes, well, like everyone involved in the NFL is there. You can't help but see them walking around on the streets. I mean, like I'm walking to the studio, I'm walking to the table and there was Steve Smith sitting, you know, he's bumped shoulders with him. I mean, there's people everywhere. It's cool. Well, Matt, we have uh, for the the second week in a row, we have another Matt here with us. We've got Matt Caraccio of Saturday to Sunday uh, football podcast. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I am not doing well because I was just on mute for a moment ago. (laughs) So, uh, no, that gentlemen, it's, it's an honor. It's really a privilege to sit down with you guys again and, and talk about these prospects. And I, I really got to thank you guys so much. I'm a big fan of your show and all the work that you guys do in terms of really following players and also storylines and also just really helping those dynasty players out there get a feel for what these rookies are going to bring to the table. So really just to sit down with you two gentlemen and, and your experiences is, is really a privilege. So thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah, we're glad to. I think this is your second appearance on the Blueprint. I know you you came on last year or, or yeah, a little over a year ago and and talked about that 2017 rookie class, and now we're going to do the same with the 2018 rookies. I know you and Paul uh, over there at Saturday to Sunday follow these guys throughout their college career 
and, and few out there know them better than you guys do. So really looking forward to just soaking up your knowledge on this 2018 rookie class that we've got. Yeah, I'm just really excited to just be able to share our perspective. You know, I mean, we try to really follow these guys uh, from right now. I'm working on the uh, current incoming freshman class into college football. I'm working on my top 50 uh, as I go into it. I've been uh, kind of scrounging through a lot of huddle film, trying to get a feel for this class. So, yeah, I mean, these are some guys that we've uh, kind of babied a little bit. Uh, we've, we've had a really close relationship with their film. So uh, hopefully we can give a perspective that's informed and, um, you might hear some different opinions, but that's the whole point, right? Is to, to share opinions, share ideas, and and somewhere find the truth. So we're excited to do that. Well, we are going to look at some of some of your opinions, some of your rankings that maybe differ from the norm or the mainstream that that is out there. And like you said, that that different, unique perspective uh, doesn't mean anybody's right or wrong, but just seeing those players through your eyes is going to help us maybe see them in a different way as well. Matt, uh, r- really both both Matts, the Combine has been all the talk, of course, uh, in the Dynasty community with the the incoming rookies getting to show off a little bit. You know, it, it can be debated whether it should affect a player's NFL draft stock. Some people say draft stock is not even a real thing anyway, uh, but it can be debated whether it does or should affect their draft stock, whether it should affect their Dynasty value. But it seems like it has to. So we want to start with just running through each position, each of the four fantasy relevant positions and looking at maybe just one player who is considered a riser and a faller after the combine. So of course we'll start with the quarterback position and we'll start with the quarterback riser. Uh, Matt, who did you see uh, or, or get to read about, you know, uh, hear about, see, whatever it might be, because some of these things are, of course, are on NFL Network, and and some of them are more things we have to read through the media, like like our our host here, Matt, uh, through their perspective, they can't televise it all, unfortunately. So, top quarterback riser after the combine in Indianapolis. Well, I I mean, for me, I think it's hard not to look at two guys. So I'm going to be a little bit off script and give you two guys that kind of stood out to me. And it just happens to do with the fact that I thought their athleticism really was was pretty much showcased. And that has to do with Josh Allen and Kyle Lauletta uh, from Richmond. So Josh Allen from Wyoming and Kyle Lauletta from uh, Richmond. And and the really reason why is, is because, you know, many people will talk as you watch Josh Allen. Um, the, the, just the surrounding supporting cast at Wyoming really wasn't conducive with really him ever really getting on track in terms of his collegiate career. And a lot of people will talk about how he's, you know, this really this athletic kind of multi-dimensional quarterback that's going to be able to fit into a system, add dimensionality to it with his ability to set different launch points, his ability to be used by an offensive coordinator um, in situations that will really kind of put those defensive ends and defensive tackles in conflict because he's he's a better athlete than we're giving him credit for. And I think that was big for him to show that. And Kyle Lallet is a guy that I've really only been recently introduced to. Um, as we were leading up to the senior bowl and I really had a chance to really watch him some more, I was really impressed with him. I mean, a lot of this is the bias that comes into it from my perspective of what the NFL is today and what I think football really is. And that is, I think it's more of a space game. I think it's, it's, it's evolved over the last, we could argue it's evolved over the last 60 years into being more of a space game. And it's only now that let's say the NFL seems to be adopting it more readily and I think Kyle Laletta is is a player that people are going to take probably as a developmental quarterback 
Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if he were to find a situation where he could contribute early. So those are two guys that, that just stood out for me um, just from an athletic profile, because I do think mobility, not the ability to scramble, mobility and being using mobility in a controlled, almost weaponized way is part of what the quarterback position can do today that maybe is being exploited more by teams. So that's, those are two players that came to mind, right? Matt, I think that's well said. And Ryan, I just want to throw something in there more from a, an NFL perspective, but what I've been hearing and what I'm starting to kind of formulate is a lot more work needs done on those top five, Darnold, Rosen, Mayfield, Jackson, Allen, and we didn't learn a ton about them at the combine, but I did think Allen shined, as Matt mentioned. But I also think Laletta and Mason Rudolph are maybe now in their own tier for six and seven, you know, as second day guys. Yeah, from what I've seen, I would agree with that. I, you know, I like Mike White, the uh, the Western Kentucky kid, a little bit. Um, Luke Falk is is a guy who's had his name out there for really, really pretty much his entire college career as, as a player that was always viewed as a future uh, NFL player. But now over the past year there, you know, he, he's had his issues in his final year in college. I think he actually got benched, Matt. I think that's correct at one point. So he's kind of fallen down. I agree. It seems like Laletta and, and Rudolph both are kind of being, um, overshadowed by by this top group and I think if we took those two guys and put them in a typical class they might be late first rounders and and might be getting a lot more hype than they are right now but Matt I do want to go back to Josh Allen of course he's he's one of the big names in that group he is viewed as uh, one of the the top five in that in that tier of quarterbacks but it just seems like it seems like almost nobody likes this guy. Of course, lots of talk about the small school, weaker competition, and and the one that's most discussed is his his accuracy or his completion percentage. Can can we dismiss all of those things? Are you worried about any of those? And would you have a problem if the Browns took him with the number one overall pick? Well, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, I look at Josh <laughs> Allen, and I think that. I, I think that he's going to be drafted to be a day one starter. And I just don't know if that's necessarily fair to him. I do think that I see the the similarities that people talk about with regards to Carson Wentz. I mean, we see that, that prototypical NFL size and frame. We see that elite arm, you know, but when it comes to, you know, the accuracy and the decision-making, I, I think it kind of, Matt, you put it so eloquently. I think there's a lot of work to still be done here because I, I think that we have to be able to tease out and separate the player from the situation. And that's remarkably hard to do because in essence, you would want to believe that the best test of a player's skill is the game film. You want to believe that, but sometimes when you're projecting, and I think that's kind of what we're doing with Josh Allen, we're projecting, you would, you, you need to really go back and start tethering out maybe what are his specific responsibilities on this play? What was the actual play broken down to? And there, and, and there are moments in his, when you cover him and watch him, there are moments where you're like, man, I mean, just not everybody's on the same page when it comes to that team. Is that a reflection of him? Is that a reflection of the coaching staff? Is that a reflection of everybody surrounding the supporting cast? That's where you try to tease it out. So I think with Josh Allen, I'm going to unfortunately say that if you go trait by trait by trait, I think he has everything you're looking for in terms of a developmental quarterback and not the day one starter that he's going to be drafted to be. Do I think he's a year two? 
like bona fide number one QB for an NFL team? Absolutely. Let him let him learn under a little bit more experience. I'm taking Josh Allen, and I know this is going to be really controversial, but I want to give him a I want to give him a clipboard. I want him to go to a team like and knock on wood. I want him to go to a team that could be like the New York Giants, where you have an entrenched starter, where he can sit for a year. Think Patrick Mahomes and what happened with Alex Smith. I I, I would love that situation for Josh Allen because. Do I see those traits for him to catapult himself to that next level? Absolutely. He's got it everywhere in his toolbox. But the mental, the cerebral side, the the comfort in chaos and dealing with it, there's enough evidence to suggest that we should at least think about him as let him sit for a year and develop a little bit more. I think there's enough questioning there. Accuracy, I do think, is something that he struggles with. We saw it at the Senior Bowl even in some practice drills, and we saw it as well um, this past weekend. I mean, it's just something he's struggling with. Is Does that mean it's mechanical and irreparable? You know what? Honestly, I don't necessarily think so, but I do think that you take him as a developmental quarterback. That's where I kind of still see him. Give him, a, give him the ball year two, and I know that's not what's going to happen, but that's what I would like. Yeah, well, if he lands with, with your Giants, maybe that is what would happen. So yeah. I haven't I haven't really seen that as mocked as an option necessarily, but it, it does make some sense as you mentioned. What about a quarterback faller? Maybe somebody who hurt his his draft stock, his dynasty value uh, based on the combine. I think it's I think this is probably one you'll hear a lot of different places. Got to be Sam Darnold. I mean, having not had the chance to throw, uh, not doing that. Um, again, I don't know about the interviews. I mean, it's so hard with quarterbacks, Ryan, because I think the majority of the reason, and Matt, you could probably speak to this, the, it seems like the majority of the reason why we want those quarterbacks there has to do with more off-the-field discussion than necessarily on the field. Is that is that fair? Yes, but I also think there's a lot of value to watching a quarterback throw live as opposed to on tape. And in that case, I don't really care about accuracy, but it's one-stop shopping of watching – quarterback a b c d e all throw right next to each other you know rapid fire so i do think there's value in that and the off the field stuff is absolutely huge but for people who don't know you get 60 names every team gets 60 names and you you meet with 60 players in 15 minute intervals you can't get a lot done in 15 minutes you know i mean it, it's crazy it's an assembly line they blow this horn boom your 15 minute clock stock starts and then 15 minutes later, Darnold goes from the Eagles to the Vikings to the Bears, wherever. I mean, so by the time you walk in the room, shake five coaches and scouts' hands, sit down, how you doing? Well, how's this thing treating you? You really don't get that much in depth in the interview world. So let me ask you a question, though. Do you think then that it's a fair, a fair assessment or a fair remark that the pro days are going to be more important for some of these guys than the combine itself? Or do you think – they're pretty Maybe equal footing. Maybe, Maybe for the quarterbacks. quarterbacks. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the thing about pro days, though, is they're in your building throwing to your receivers of choice, scripted throws. Mm-hmm. Like the ball should almost never hit the ground. Correct. But everybody knows that. Yeah. No, no. And I, because I'm, I always just wonder as I'm watching these things and I'm watching these like very clinical setups that they have. I mean, you know, they're throwing to these receivers who they have no rapport with. There's no, you know, timing or assumption, anything built into this. This is a very clinical situation. Like you're saying, I mean, 
how much of it is what they're doing on the field versus what's happening off the field, let's say behind closed doors. I was always curious as to the dynamic and the value and how that's set apart because Sam Darnold, he, we didn't get a chance to see him in that setting. We didn't get a chance to see him among that group of five quarterbacks in a row throwing bing, 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 bing to get a feel for where he sits among the rest of the crew. So I don't know. Did you hear anything about that? Were people perturbed by that at all or were people okay with it? I didn't hear a lot. And really the last thing to mention on that subject, too, is you can't forget Darnold will probably visit, you know, the cities of 10 teams or eight teams or whatever. And that's a whole day. I mean, you sit there at lunch with them. You spend a lot of time on the board. I mean, that's a real indicator of how does he fit in your room. And and I remember um, they had mentioned in Houston, like when Watson came in for his visit, and how he interacted with the players, like immediately they were like, that's who I want. Matt, let's move over to the running back position. Who do you view as the top running back riser post-combine? So when you look at the running backs in this particular like group, I, I got to imagine that for me, the guy that, that jumped off um, was really, I know this is going to sound a little bizarre because he's really not that far from really the top himself. But I think Nick Chubb was a big riser for me and should be a lot of a riser in a lot of people's minds. And, I, and I'm only going to mention that not because he's that far from the top to begin with, but because I think people were really concerned and wanted to see what exactly was the cascading effects of the injury that he sustained. What do those medicals look like? How did he look on the field of play? And I think Nick Chubb, you know, as a, as a prospect, probably went from, you know, again, this is not a, a huge rise, but this is something where I think that he went from a midday two pick to potentially being a top day two pick, or even if somebody is really in love with him, you know, end of round one. And that could make a big difference for him. And and one more guy that stood out to me, obviously, is Bo Scarborough in terms of his athletic testing. I think people forgot about Bo Scarborough and what he was really doing in Alabama prior to last year, at least in terms of his on-the-field play. He was a guy that I think, for me, I haven't really updated my rankings this week. I'll be updating them later this week. Um, he's going to be a guy that will rise for me from where I currently have him at number 15, probably up the ranks. Uh, not a Not a huge amount, but a good amount. Good amount. I think those are real good ones, and I'd also mention Royce Freeman. I thought Royce yep. Freeman tested a lot better than I saw coming. Yep. And Rashad Penny might be in the Nick Chubb mold, too, where he's probably a dynasty first-round pick, but he was blazing. I mean, he helped himself, too. Well, you know, it's so funny that you said that. I was like, teams that – everybody keeps telling me about Nick Chubb and Darius Geis. I'm like, well, if you don't get Darius Geis, you can get a Nick Chubb. And if you don't get Nick Chubb, you can get Rashad Penny. I, I don't know if you're really moving the needle all that much in terms of what you're – gaining or losing by getting any one of those three guys I just mentioned. I, I really don't think there's a tremendous separation between the two of them, except on the field of play. I, I think there's a little bit of separation in terms of the way they run, but I do, but I do think that they're all within the same stylistic mold. Last thing I always want to mention on that is I just pulled up the spark scores and their percentiles of where they rank against NFL running backs. Not to anyone's shock. Barkley's at 98.5. I mean, that's insane. Chubb's at 89. He was second in this class. And Scarborough's next at 83.5. All those guys are well above average, obviously. And you know what's the big surprise from that list, too? If you actually take a look, one guy that jumps out to me that people are are sleeping on is a, a local product, Fordham University, Chase Edmonds. Yeah, he's fifth. Justin Jackson. Yep. 
those guys stood out to me in terms of, of their athletic testing. And also it gives them credence to now what they're doing on the field. And again, this is, I'm the, I'm the, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm the anti-testing guy, but I, I am, I think testing within context, you know, does have a lot of merit. And those were just two guys that I really liked on tape and they happened to, to kind of rise up. What about the opposite end of that spectrum of, of running back who is maybe losing a little value or falling post combine? So for me, the the guy that really kind of fell for me in terms of of what I thought he was going to be versus what he ended up being, um, I, I I I would probably say that I I wasn't so happy with John Kelly. I was maybe expecting you know a little bit more from him. Um, I, I thought he I, I mean I thought he did okay. I, I thought he did okay in terms of his testing overall. Um, but I, he was a guy that I was I was maybe wishing and hoping on a star for a little bit more. Um, but he was he was definitely a guy uh, that that I was hoping for just a tad bit more. So I, I'm getting greedy here because this was such a deep class. So I I like John Kelly as well. But I mean, I, maybe I was greedy and hoping for a little bit more. But there's this class was really strong, Ryan. Honestly, this class was very strong. It's hard to pick a faller. I mean, I'm nitpicking when I say that. Maybe Chris Warren was another guy who I was kind of hoping for more a lot more than he kind of did. And, and it didn't happen for him. Those are two guys that I was really hoping to, uh, to maybe make a name for themselves. The, some people have said Sony Michelle, and I don't think that's fair to him just because he didn't run a four, four flat and Chubb outperformed them slightly. I don't think that hurt Michelle in the, in the big picture at all. No. Yeah. I was going to make the same point We're we're working on gathering some rookie ADP at DLF right now. And pre combine, it was, Sony Michelle was fourth. He's still fourth, but since then, since the combine, Chubb has has leaped over him. So Chubb is third now in our rookie ADP. Uh, previously, it was one of the wide receivers. I agree, though, man. It, it does seem like people are down on Michelle all of a sudden, only because Chubb performed so well, uh, Penny performed so well. Of course, we knew what Barkley would do. We knew uh, we knew about guys. And those guys kind of locked in at the top. Um, but yeah, that's not really that's not really a knock on Michelle. Saying a guy is it's not his running, fault, right? Saying a guy is running back five or six or even seven in this class is not going to be a knock at all. Matt, let's look at the wide receivers next. A wide receiver riser for you. Well, the guy that ro- rose the most for me probably has to be uh, DJ Moore. I mean, I, I I expected good testing. I didn't expect you know otherworldly testing in terms of all of his definite uh, you know on all in terms of all of his forty times in terms of all of his uh, broad jumps verticals. I, I you know it honestly this was a situation where and I'm sure we'll talk about it later. It just didn't match the tape that I saw. I saw a good athlete. I didn't see a very good to rare or even elite athlete. So. I'm, you know, I, it definitely drove me back to the tape and it's driving me back to the tape to see if there's something that, you know, I'm not properly waiting in terms of what I've seen. So you would say he, he's a riser for you, but I know pre-combine he was even outside of your top 10. So he's moved into that group, but still, still maybe not in that top tier for you. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's, that's a hundred percent accurate. And I think that a lot of that has to do with, again, we're going back to the way I, I perceive the game of football and maybe how I see it evolving on Sundays. I, I, I personally believe that he is a, a versatile weapon, and I think he has the opportunity to contribute you know, on the interior as a slot receiver or off the line of scrimmage between you know the numbers 
tight to the formation. I could see him used there. I could see him used in the backfield as part of the running game. I could see him even being used outside. And that versatility is is very is very good, and it makes him a valid weapon and a volatile, you know, and a very um, viable weapon. But I think that also when you talk about flexibility and versatility, I also think you need creativity on the coaching side and in terms of the scheme that he lands in. So I think it's wonderful to have projectable creativity, versatility, but I also think it's incumbent on the team that drafts him to leverage him in that way in order to really get the most out of him because he doesn't have a, a natural position. My natural position for him was a slot receiver. That's where I thought his traits would be most exploitative. And even in the running back situation, running in the backfield, used on jet sweeps and ways of that nature, I thought it would be wonderful. Um, but I, but I needed to see that. I need that to be the landing spot. I need to put more data points together to give him the number one draftable receiver grade. I just needed. I, I didn't see enough variability in his trait set on film for me that left me saying, right now, bona fide. Here's who he is, ready to go, top wide receiver. I still, I still leave that for Calvin Ridley. I still feel like I have a better feel for him. I wanted to mention a couple names too. Uh, Dion Kane from Clemson. Ran a little better than I expected. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure everyone out there is familiar with Lance Zerline from NFL.com. He's a friend of mine, and I think he's one of the most absolutely underrated and best draft guys out there. Kane is his number two receiver on his board right now. I mean, I'm not sure I'm on board with that, but I trust Lance. Um, I just want to mention that. Michael Gallup, I also thought, was a little more athletic than I expected. He's pro football focuses number one receiver on their board right now. And I know they look at things different than others, but they're no dummies. And I think we have to mention Cortland Sun. Yeah, and, and wait, can I can I be can I be greedy and mention one more? Yeah, sure, sure. I'm gonna be greedy. I'm gonna be greedy. Even though we know, and this is not the venue to to talk about it because I don't have any facts whatsoever. But I've been on the Antonio Callaway is talented bandwagon for quite a while, and he was until a lot of off the field issues. He kind of kind of embattled himself to the point where I'm not sure where he goes if he goes. But he definitely showed that he can play with the best of them at that combine. Matt, was did you get any feel around that, Matt? I hate to – I don't mean to put you on the spot. Was was there anything around Antonio Callaway off the field, swirlings about, oh, wow, he's pretty impressive, or, yeah, but there's more to do research on him in terms of his background and what's going on. Did you hear anything about Callaway? I don't think he came up, to be honest with you. I mean, I do know that there are some off-the-field concerns, and mm-hmm. just looking at what he did – uh, there is ability there. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, he he definitely is an interesting player. He's one that got my attention uh, during the workouts and and everything. And I, I do think I, I think heading into the weekend there was a chance he didn't get drafted. Um, I'm not sure if he's he's totally wiped that away. Of course, he had uh, not only the off field issue, which is which is a strike on its own but that caused a year away from football. Right. So, I mean, he missed an entire season of football because of that, uh, which is, is a secondary punishment and, and a secondary knock to his, uh, to his entire profile really. But yeah, I mean, he, he really, really impressed me uh, during the combine. Matt, when you're, when you're setting up your rankings and you're, scouting these players and looking at film and all, all everything else that goes into uh, your profile. How do you factor the off field issues? Because I, I know at least pre combine, he was, um, he was near the top of your wide receiver ranks. Callaway was, mm-hmm. 
so do you ignore that completely and kind of let the NFL decide how that's going to work out or, or what do you do with that? I mean, I got to kind of go on past precedent, which was what I did last year with Joe Mixon. And I said, you know, you know, where, where, where's my lane in terms of what I do and what I'm trying to share with people. And I'm trying to share insights on evaluation from a film perspective. And that's the, the area and the place that I live in. And I'll, I'll never be informed enough in the know enough to ever comment on things that even if they're readily available, it's just not that's just not the world that I live in. I don't have any resources to vet out claims or to, you know, to substantiate claims about players. I, I can only I said, you know what, I'm going to leave that off to the side. I'm going to base them on what I've seen on the film that's available to me. And I'll, I'll tell you what I think of them and what's my opinion. So that's kind of that's kind of where I've sat in that lane. Um, it may sound like a cop out to some, but that's just how I've chosen to just to just look at what I do and, and what I want to do and what I enjoy. No, that makes sense. So so the rankings that you guys present at Saturday to Sunday are um, are not draft projections, of course. And and though, though I think you have those as well. Um are they are they fantasy rankings or are they more just talent film based rankings so the initial rankings that we kind of put together we focus only on the skill players so we try to approach it as what do we think of these players based upon film and what their value in the NFL would be based on our understanding of the game our understanding of the landscape of the NFL from what we see from our perspective where do we think these guys could fit um, in terms of their value, um, we don't let necessarily, uh, you know, uh, you know, a particular team, uh, drive our rankings. We kind of set up tiers that we think define, you know, what these receivers and running backs are, what we consider a tier one player versus a tier two player. And all that's part of the rankings package that you get from us. But yes, it's film analysis based on their talent levels, regardless of fantasy. And then once fan, and then once the draft happens, then we feel like we have enough information to start putting fantasy-based rankings or values together. So this is purely talent-based from our perspective. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So I guess the only follow-up question I had on Callaway, if mm-hmm. if he were to go undrafted, mm-hmm. once you put out those fantasy-based rankings, mm-hmm. I assume he would he would tumble down from a, a top five. Well, and it From goes top five ranking. Well, it depends on where he goes, right? I mean, in the sense that if he goes to a, a not a very embattled wide receiver type of location, if he goes to a team where there's maybe maybe we can say there's two, maybe maybe one or two wide receivers that we think are you know the quintessential number ones, and then everybody after that is is kind of on thin ice for whatever that fictitious team is, then it could be a situation where he holds value. But yes, I think a downturn is certainly going to be there a little bit because he's going to have to fight his way up the depth chart. Whereas other guys will be in a situation potentially where they don't have to. So yeah, I I would say without knowing anything, I would say that's a fair assumption for sure. All right. And what about a wide receiver fall or somebody losing some fantasy stock, some NFL uh, draft stock? I, I think that the guy that that stood out to me is, I, I mean, I think he lost NFL draft stock. I do not think that he lost stock from my perspective. Um, I think I'll give you two names. I'll say Calvin Ridley uh, and Simi Cobbs might have lost some draft stock. Um, to me, they they are what they still are. I still I will still say Calvin Ridley is my number one wide receiver. Um, but people are, I think perceiving his his lack of uh, time in the in the short shuttle as being remarkably concerning um 
but in my opinion, I think there's a lot going on when a route is running, um, both in the player's ability to react to what's going on on the football field, as well as to scale that to their own ability, and then to create separation and space and still kind of come out as a winner in a situation. I think there's more of a, a mental kind of uh, landscape and kind of scaling and perception reaction that's going on that that sometimes you just it's not it's not measurable in a combine setting. It's something that only film can give you a feel for. And I think Calvin Ridley has very, very elite route running film. And I think that has to do with his ability to understand the environment he's in, understand the play that he's running, understand what's going on when he's facing coverage, and his ability to create instability within the opposing defensive back. He understands how to create indecision. He understands how to use slight in slightness of hips, feet, shoulders, and as well as head to create that separation. He's a very, very nuanced player when it comes to, I think, running routes. So he's still, to me, my number one guy. But I think he would have lost some draft stock potentially from being, let's say, a mid-first-round pick to maybe a late-first-round pick. That's how, how much is that? I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's a guy who I think is starting to lose a little bit. But Simi Cobbs as well. Simi I Cobbs think as well. It, one other guy I think that fell off a cliff, though, is Auden Tate. I mean – He's he might end up being a sixth or seventh round pick now. Yeah, yeah, but you know what though? Here's my here's my question. I just wonder what what was Auden Tate supposed to be? I mean, it depends on what you look at Auden Tate to be. I think in some respects, I, I look at Auden Tate and I say to myself, he's a developmental prospect. I mean, even I still have him pretty high. I, I see him as a developmental player. I see him as a player that does not have command of the entire route tree who immediately puts himself though in an advantageous and maybe a competitive advantage, just winning in that red zone or maybe on short yardage situation for his ability to just maybe win physically at the catch point. So I, do I think he was going to test out of the gym? No, but I'm just wondering is it depends on how he's viewed and maybe on what board he's sitting on. Is it possible, Matt? Am I being, am I being ridiculous or why do you think it Nate, maybe he he fell so precipitously? Is well, it really the numbers? To be very honest, yep. you know we, we've done a lot of these shows leading mm -hmm. up to the combine, and I didn't know a whole lot about him. I'm always a little mm -hmm. behind some of you guys in draft prep, and his name was popping up in the dynasty world from a handful of people as you know maybe a early second round startup pick. And I mean, mm -hmm. you can't test like that and be in that realm for me. Um, Last guy just to throw up with it. I, I meant to mention him in the risers, though. Just DJ DJ Chark is super fast and he's tall. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like he's going to go pretty high in the in the draft. Yeah, and that's funny. You know, I, to to be very honest with you, it goes back to like, listen, he's going to make a move in my rankings as well. I did not realize that the athletic capacity they possesses, and again. I put the combine is, is it's it's kind of like figuring out what tools these guys are using. What does their athletic tools look like? Because you could have the most amazing like man cave set of wrenches and power tools in existence and not ever know how to put together a birdhouse. You could have the best jigsaw in the world and still can't put together a birdhouse. And when I look at DJ Chark, I thought he was a a solid complimentary wide receiver that could be in a vertical passing game that could be on a team where he was a guy that was responsible for stretching the field and he could make some catches in traffic and he could do that with his ability to leap and catch the ball over people. And I thought it was a complimentary role and I felt pretty good about him being in the top two or three. 
I did not see the athletic capacity of a 4-3-4 guy or 4-3-8 guy. That kind of blew me away in terms of that. So I'm thinking to myself, like kind of what you're mentioning, is there more that we can be doing with him that he maybe wasn't asked to do at LSU? And is what I saw a little bit of a response to that as well. I didn't see a guy who separated really well on really high-speed change of direction routes. That was a little bit of a question in my mind. If you want to stick him down the field and have him run a, a you know, 30, 40 yards downfield and really push that safety deep, I'm all for it. I think that's exactly where he sits. But if you're going to tell me you want him to run the entire route tree, that's where I was looking at his film saying, okay, maybe not a West Coast-style guy, maybe not an option route guy, maybe not a high-speed change of direction route guy. Give me a vertical passing game, strong running game, put me one-on-one against the cornerback and maybe even the safety, I'll blow them away. That's what I saw from him, and he tested that way, but I didn't see 4-3-8. I didn't see that. I, I, was, I was shocked by that. I was so excited for the kid. Matt, back to, back to Alden Tate really quickly. I don't want to oversimplify this at all because obviously there's so much that goes into the scouting process, not only from guys like you, Matt, but obviously on the NFL level as they're trying to find the best players. But with Tate, he has poor production and he didn't test well. I mean, those those are... (laughs) Other than that, he's great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, those are two major, major strikes that if a player doesn't test well then you can look at his production and say okay he may not have the the measurables or the numbers or the times but look at what he did or or vice versa sometimes we get these guys who come out of nowhere and and test like athletic freaks and they didn't put up the numbers in college and then we have to decide which one is the real player but with Tate he's got neither one going for him Mm -hmm. and I just wonder if he went to Oregon State instead of Florida State would we even know his name no, I think that's fair. And I think that the only context I would bring is, listen, he was playing with, uh, you know, I mean, he was playing with DeAndre Francois, who was supposed to basically be taking over this year, making that next step, building that rapport. And he was supposed to have that standout year that we really didn't get a chance to see because they had to replace the quarterback again, you know, unfortunately, because of Francois's injury. So production to me is something that I, I really do. For me, I try to move aside because I think there is there is some bias that goes into it. I do think coaches want to win football games, but I do think coaches have a perspective in their mind of how winning football looks. And some coaches see winning football differently than other coaches. Some will say, no matter what, we're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Others will say, I believe in stretching horizontally and vertically with the passing game. You know, There are moments, though, where I watch Tate, and I think the biggest thing, Ryan, that really sustains him for me, and I'm going to be very honest with you, is his body control and his hands. He has elite body control for me, and he has very strong hands. When I have anybody that I think has an elite trait, it's hard for me to to think that he is not somebody who can contribute. Now, do all these factors that we're talking about, will it depress his draft stock and put him into that late round kind of world? It may very well. And you know what? If it does, I, I, I can't tell you that once he's drafted in the fifth or sixth round, it's not going to matter. It's going to matter. It's going to mean he has a much more of a Hercu- you know, Herculean climb to seeing the field. Even if he does have some of the traits I'm talking about, he may not see the field at all. And if that happens, I mean, what does that mean? Does it mean I got it wrong? I don't know. Does it mean, does it mean anything? I don't know. I mean, I have to see how it happens when it unfolds. I still believe that he has very, very good to elite body control. And for me, that makes him an end zone weapon, somebody that I can use at the very least in a red zone, which means you could be talking about a guy 
who could have eight touchdowns but very limited receptions and yardage just for that reason. So is that a fantasy asset? I ask you guys. Is he a fantasy asset if he puts up eight touchdowns and has, let's say, 600 yards and 50 50 receptions? Is that a fantasy player that you have? I mean, could he do it? Could he have a high touchdown total as a wide receiver? I think it could be possible. I think that's how rare that ability is. And I don't think you see that at the combine. I think you see that on film. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So maybe, maybe I'm giving up on him too, sim- too, too early. Uh, Matt finish up with the tight end position. Give us both uh, one riser and a faller after the combine. I, I think Ian Thomas uh, was definitely a guy who, again, he was a guy who had very limited work when it came to Indiana in terms of the passing game. He wasn't a guy that did a lot in the passing game. But you could see kind of like, you know, uh, glimpses of what he brought to the table in terms of his ability as a as an athlete. And it was just nice to see that that athleticism kind of go hand in hand. Obviously, Mike Gusecki was great as well. But those but Ian Thomas was a guy with I just didn't know where he would sit for me. Um, I didn't know whether or not what I was seeing was what I was thinking he was as an athlete, because clearly I thought on tape was going to test better than that. And that didn't work out. So, I mean, we're, we're always looking at these things through rose colored glasses of what we perceive to be what it's our own biases and perceptions, but, but it was nice to see Ian Thomas, I thought test out a little bit better. For those that don't know, our listeners, you know, that didn't watch the combine and aren't the nerds that we are, Gusecki went bonkers uh, in, in every test. And his spark score is at over 99th percentile against NFL tight ends. I mean, that's unbelievable. And, oh, by the way, for those of you that watch other positions, what on earth is going on with the Penn State strength and conditioning program? Everyone in Penn State is fast and strong and crazy explosive. That's a really good point, though. Strength and conditioning coach should stand up and take a bow. Yeah. They're, well, they're secondary. Yeah, I mean, obviously we knew about Barkley and um, and Gasicki was uh, he was a player I've liked for a couple of years. I was actually hoping he would declare and be part of that draft class last year. Um, I, I didn't. I, I mean, I don't think you can expect anybody to test out like he did. Well, I, I was going to say but, I made stupid claims. I made stupid claims about his game reminding me of Jimmy Graham, which was stupid, and people were getting on me for that one. <laughs> They were like, it can't possibly be that athletic. And I was like, I don't know, man. I think he's kind of athletic. And by the way, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, they were all Penn State guys too. Pretty yep. freakish athletes as well. Well, this just makes me think, and and I won't take credit for this. I saw a couple people mention this on Twitter throughout the weekend of, of combine coverage. But Deshaun Hamilton is a guy who might just be going – uh, underrated or under the radar because of Barkley, because of Gasicki, and if he's the third option in that offense, that that's not a knock either. No. Uh, what about a tight end faller for you, Matt? So I was hoping for a little bit more um, in terms of the athleticism, even though it wasn't terrible. Um, but he's he's kind of like a he's a guy that's a little bit after my own heart. Um, I have a little bit of a draft crush on him. I like Durham Smythe a lot. Mm, I like Durham. I yeah, say. I was gonna like. I like Durham Smythe a lot, and I was hoping for a little bit more because I think he was vastly underutilized um, at Notre Dame. But I, I guess when it comes to the position of tight end, I just have a little bit of a soft spot for the guys who I think could be combo tight ends one day. Guys that can do a little bit of everything. And I was hoping for Durham Smythe to kind of kind of make himself avail himself to the rest of the world and show what he can do. And he looked great at the Senior Bowl. 
And I was really hoping for him to take that next step in the testing world. It, it didn't happen for him, but I don't think it's, it, I don't think people are going to draft him because of his receiving capabilities. I think people are going to be surprised at how good they are though. Once you see him catch the football. Yeah, absolutely. A good one. And speaking of good ones, we got yet another sponsor. I want to tell you guys about, and this one kind of rings heart. It rings true to me because have you ever wanted to be, have you ever wished you could be an NFL general manager? And to be very honest, I've pretty much wished that since I was about five years old when I was writing notes to uh, the Steelers front office and Chuck Knoll and their defensive coordinator. Well, now you can, thanks to Reality Sports Online. It's a powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. It's super cool. Reality Sports Online was created by a former NFL front office personnel and features a revolutionary free agency auction room, which mimics NFL free agency, enabling fantasy owners to negotiate and sign the NFL's top talent to single or multi-year contracts. Very very realistic. The platform can host up to 32 teams and has tons of other cool features in addition to free agency, like a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contracts extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contracts, and salary cap functionality, and much, 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 much more. Test your general manager skills for free at realitysportsonline.com in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use our promo code BLUEPRINT to receive a 10% discount on your team or your entire league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. And, and remember, our promo code is BLUEPRINT. Sounds super duper cool to me. All right, Matt. Just uh, We've covered several players in that Risers Fallers uh, segment. A few more questions I had about some of these players post-combine. Uh, we talked a little bit about Josh Allen already. It seems like, again, it just seems like everybody is already ready to give up on him before he – before he even gets drafted, uh, at least as a fantasy prospect. Uh, most people, uh, on the other hand, are very interested and, um, and excited about Lamar Jackson. And obviously we've seen the debate about can he be an NFL quarterback? Uh, we'll, maybe we'll save that one for another day. But for you, it seems like Allen is ahead of Jackson in your rankings. Uh, do you view Jackson as that high upside uh, option thinking more of from a fantasy perspective? Yeah. I mean, I, I think if I'm looking at Lamar Jackson from a fantasy perspective, he's absolutely a player that I'm taking a shot on again, if I'm thinking talent wise, and again, just to, for all the listeners out there, you know, I have, I'm, I have to sit down this week and I'm going to be readjusting my rankings based and reflecting on the combine, but I don't think he's going to move. I mean, he's a guy that I still believe is, is a top five guy. Um, I think if this were a fantasy football only ranking, I think Lamar Jackson, just with that potential to be utilized in both the running and passing game, um, just might be a guy that could go ahead of a Josh Allen, especially if Josh Allen sits for a year. He might be a guy that I say, you know what? I need a quarterback right now. He's a guy who can score touchdowns in more than one way. I'm going to take a shot on him. I like Lamar Jackson. I, I think there's, I think there's things about him that that can be worked on, improved, developed, and I think that you can't teach the the explosive talent that he is in terms of an athlete and his just his ability as a runner. Um, I think is very intriguing. 
you know, and I'm not suggesting he should be running 50, 60 yards, scrambling every play. I'm suggesting that he be used and weaponized in a way that makes sense in the overall context of a bigger offensive strategy. I'd love to see Tyrod Taylor and Jackson both end up in the same place, you know, Arizona, the Jets, somewhere where there's nothing in place and build a whole offense around what they bring to the table with Taylor being the placeholder until Jackson's ready. Ryan, is Jackson a mid-second round uh, rookie pick right about now, maybe a little later? Yeah, probably a little later. Um, I think the depth of the quarterback class uh, is maybe maybe pushing them all down from a fantasy perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Like like why take Jackson in the in the second, or why t- why take Rosen in the second if you can get Darnold in the third, or you can get um, you know you can get Baker Mayfield in the third. It's it's kind of that reasoning that unless you just really love one of these guys, and a lot of people are going to love Jackson, they're going to love Mayfield, they're going to love Rosen. But again, unless you just really are buying into one of these, you can wait. And rather than taking the first quarterback in the mid-second, you can take the fourth or fifth in the mid-third or or maybe even later. That makes sense right now, especially like what we said to start the show, that there's a lot more work that needs to be done with these guys. And the the pecking order hasn't really played itself, shown itself to us yet. No, absolutely. I think uh, again, we're we're running mock drafts for DLF to gather some rookie ADP. Uh, I, I haven't looked at this specifically, but w- we ran ten different rookie mock drafts, and um, the order of, that those quarterbacks came off the board has to be uh, has to be pretty widely varied. I, I think most people are viewing Rosen as the quarterback one, but after that, it's wide open. Uh, Mayfield, Darnold. Lamar Jackson, uh, all, all having a shot at the quarterback two spot. Matt, you talked about how important you think it is for Josh Allen to land in the ideal spot. And it's really true of, of all of these rookies, all of these quarterbacks especially, but it seems like Lamar Jackson is another one where uh, the coaching staff he lands with especially is, is going to be super important in towards his development. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think – I think a lot of this ends up being a lot about landing spot, which is why, you know, when you asked us earlier, you know, why do Paul and I really kind of do what we do the way we do it is because I just want to watch the film and, and try to look at who I think is really talented and who really pops out to me and, and who looks good uh, from a film standpoint. And then in terms of, you know, kind of using that data and looking at where they fit in the overall fantasy landscape really can't even begin to be discussed until I know where their landing spots are and what, what scheme, what team, what other, you know, kind of parts around him are there? Because, you know, it, it matters. It matters, especially for quarterbacks and for running backs and for wide receivers. It matters for the skill position players. Matt, looking at the running backs, one one player we haven't talked um, uh, talked about yet is Ronald Jones, the USC running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most people probably view his combine performances as a little bit of a disappointment. Um, there's questions about his role in the passing game, his size, his speed. You still are a little bit of a believer in in Jones. What do you like about him? I, I think Ronald Jones. I mean, just going back to the film from from his USC days, and if I'm going to use that as as a as a barometer for a lot of what I expect, I, I see a very very 
uh, highly well-attuned athlete to what's going on in the football field. I see not just a guy with, you know, speed or a guy that has good acceleration, but that acceleration and that speed is kind of linked into his conviction for what he sees in front of him. There's more than just his ability to accelerate in a, in a box or in a test, but more or less like when he sees the hole or when he sees the available gap, he hits it full speed. That says something about his his mental processing and his attunement to the different things that are on the football field, all the little details, all the little environmental details. That 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 linebacker just showed me a little bit of color on the inside hip of my right guard. That means I'm going to have to bounce it to the backside hole where I know that I'm going to have this guy climbing to the second level to alleviate a little bit of pressure. I can make this cut and I can go. I see that type of player from him. I see that type of attunement to his game, that type of understanding of the line of scrimmage, and then what affordances he'll have at the next level. I see a little bit of that vision mixed with athleticism that I think makes him a really a potent runner. And Matt, let's let's finish up with the tight end position. I really, this is a group I have kind of been down on really for the past year, um, thinking the depth was lacking. But I think I think this combine just really woke me up to to the opposite of that. Um, we talked about Gesicki and Thomas mm-hmm. already. Hayden Hurst is is another player. I think he might be your top tight end overall, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a great combine. The number one tight end for most people, though, is Mark Andrews from Oklahoma. And he's a little further down your rankings. What concerns do you have about Andrews? Didn't have a great combine either. Yeah, I, I mean, with Mark Andrews, for me, I, I see a player that it's, again, this is where I think there's, and I'm going to kind of encapsulate this whole class if I can from a perspective of when you're watching these skill position players this year, I think now more than ever, with the exception of the running back class, there's a vast amount of projection with a lot of these players. And I know that's probably built into a lot of rankings, but I think more so than ever. I mean, the wide receivers, there's a whole bunch of slot receivers, in my opinion, really good ones too. It's going to matter where you think they're going to land, project to and play with tight end. I think it's about seeing play early. That has an opportunity for you to, to kind of, kind of build your stock up. And when I watch Mark Andrews, just from his film, I didn't see a tremendous, I didn't see any, almost any blocking from the limited footage I saw. And I don't also, I don't see a very dynamic or outstanding uh, route runner or athlete in terms of, you know, running around the football field in terms of just being a receiver. So I guess from, from what I saw on film, I didn't see a guy who was an outstanding receiver. I didn't see an outstanding blocker. So I'm wondering is, am I missing something? Do I see a good hands catcher? Do I see a smart player as a route runner? Sure. But do I see a guy who's going to be a mismatch from day one for an NFL linebacker or for an NFL safety? Well, yeah, maybe if he uses his size, but I'm not even sure then. I'm not even sure then. He's a big guy, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure I see a great ride receiver or a great blocker. And for me, that's concerning. We go to Mike Gusecki. I see a guy who's going to, I see a better route runner. And I see a guy who's a mismatch in one-on-one situations in terms of winning that 50-50 ball in the air. And and his testing happened to substantiate that. But you get my point a little bit. Like I, I just didn't see either dimension of a tight end, which is pass catching, blocking, being outstanding. Whereas the guys above him might not have had the the, the pass catching acumen but I saw better blockers, things that are going to get them on the field now. 
that'll get them the opportunity to to build their rapport as pass catchers. And I saw some of that in Schultz and Smythe that we talked about earlier. Yeah, and I want to tell some tell you guys more about Harry's as well. I've mentioned it almost every podcast we've had of late. I feel very strongly about them. I've been a Harry's believer and user now for years. And then when they got in touch with us that they wanted to be on the Dynasty Blueprint regularly, I thought that was great because I 100% believe in exactly what they're selling and I use them every day. So Harry's is all about a great shave at a very, very fair price. And that's why over 3 million gentlemen such as myself have switched to Harry's. Jeff and Andy are just two ordinary dudes that were fed up with getting charged an arm and a leg for razor blades. They started Harry's to fix shaving, and I think they've accomplished it. Harry's stripped out all the unnecessary nonsense features like heated blades and a bazillion lubricating strips and the unnecessary costs that go with it to deliver customers one perfect razor at an amazing price. A good shave comes down to good blades because Harry owns the factory. They're able to deliver amazing quality blades for just two bucks a blade compared to the four bucks or more you you pay at your local drugstore. And all products are backed by a 100% guarantee. Uh, Harry's is so confident you're going to love their blades. They'll give you a free trial set when you sign up at harrys.com slash dynasty. All you got to do is pay for shipping. Everything else is free. The whole thing is free except for shipping. Claim your free trial offer from Harry's today. It's a $13 value for free. When you sign up, just cover your shipping. Your free trial will your, your free trial set will include a beautiful razor handle, five precision engineer blade with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel that smells fantastic, a travel blade cover. And to get your free trial set, go to harrys.com slash dynasty right now. That's harrys.com slash dynasty. Matt, one thing we have uh, been trying to do here on the Dynasty Blueprint is end each episode with a one-round rookie mock draft. So uh, you have brought some great information today. I hope you're ready for uh, a quick mock. And as always, we're going to let our guest uh, go first and make that easy 1.01 draft pick. I feel like either one of you probably could have taken the 1.01 other than me, and we all are picking the same Pearson. I'm going to be taking Saquon Barkley, running back Penn State. All right. No surprise there. He's been the uh, 1.01 in uh, every mock that I've run for DLF, (laughs) which is now 20 mocks. Uh, He's been the 101 in every mock draft that we've done on here, and he'll probably be the 1.01 in every actual rookie draft that takes place later this spring and summer. Uh, I'm going to make the second pick again, two weeks in a row, Matt. I'm going to take Darius Geis. I I think, uh, I wouldn't say he had a disappointing combine. Some of the other running backs, I think maybe gained on him, but he's still the, uh, still the 1.02 in my eyes. So Matt will, Matt Williamson will let you make the 1.03 pick. Yeah, I think here's where it starts to get a little interesting. And I know that maybe he didn't blow anyone's doors off, but I'm sticking with Sony Michelle as my one three. All right. So Michelle at three and Matt, back to you. I am very happy uh, to take uh, Nick Chubb at number at number four here because I like Nick Chubb a lot in terms of what he brings to the table. And I think he's going to be at the very least uh, the lead back in a committee role, if not the every down back for a team. Would you have taken Chubb at three? Uh, no, I think oh. I would have, I would have, I think I would have taken the pass acumen 
because I think in a fantasy setting, I want the guy who can catch passes. And mm-hmm. I don't think Chubb can't do that, but I, I have more footage to say that I know Sony Michelle can. So I think I'll, I'll say somebody will draft him with that capability in mind. So I, I would take the guy right now that's catching passes a little bit more, but it's right there, right there. All right. I've got the fifth pick. I'm going to break the seal on the wide receivers. I think right now the top six for me personally is, is one big tier. They're all pretty close together, but my number one guy after the combine is DJ Moore. So I'll take him at the five spot overall and Matt Williamson back to you for the six pick. Yeah. Uh, we didn't see a lot of them at the combine, but I'm going to go with Ronald Jones still. I mean, uh, and there's not a lot of buzz about him at this moment, but uh, I still like the player a lot. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, you know what? Ahead. Yeah, no, that's fine. And I think I'm going to actually come back and I'm going to stick with what I think is the most decorated position in this group. I'm going to, I'm still stick with running backs. I'm going to take carry on Johnson um, because he's a player that I really like in terms of, again, that passing acumen. Um, I, I know what he can bring. Um, and Matt, you actually sniped Ronald Jones for me. Um, I actually thought he might've, he might've fell a little bit uh, to me. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to take carry on Johnson and um, I'm going to be quite happy with that. Hopefully he's used in the multifaceted way that I think he can be. All right. I have the eighth pick. Um, so far we've had six of our first seven uh, as, as running backs. No real surprise there. Uh, we'll run through those really quickly. It's Barkley, Geis, Michelle at three, Chubb at four, DJ Moore, the wide receiver at five, Ronald Jones, carry on Johnson at seven. Uh, back to me at eight. I talked about that top tier of six wide receivers in my rankings because there are so many wide receivers that I value pretty similarly still available. I think there's only one top running back left. I'm going to take him. It's Rashard Penny. So I'll take Penny at the eighth pick. Yeah, you made my, my choice easy because I was torn. If Penny and Sutton were on the board, I didn't know what direction I would go. Now I do. Coming off a huge combine, he's starting to really grow on me. Uh, kind of like we mentioned earlier um, with what's-his-face from Florida State. I mean, this guy's going to catch a ton of passes, and he's going to stretch the field. I, I, th- I, I, Sutton's my number one wide receiver for rookie drafts right now. Yeah, I mean, Sutton was a guy. I kind of mentioned it, uh, mentioned it earlier. Sutton was a guy who, at points over the past year, nobody really thought he would challenge Barkley necessarily for that top spot, but he was in contention maybe to be the second player drafted mm-hmm. in rookie drafts. And if you've got the ninth pick and you're able to snag Sutton, that feels pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, one more pick each, and this is the 10th pick overall and your last one. Who are you taking? So this is a really this is a really challenging one for me because I feel like after the first round, there's a lot of guys that we could probably take at different points. So Matt took Cortland Sutton. You obviously came back and took Rashad Penny. So that kind of leaves me in a position where I, I'm going to have to go after a guy that is – a guy that really, I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to be contrarian. I'm going to throw this out the window. I'm going to go completely off script. I'm going to pick a guy that's not even remotely as high as I'm taking him, but I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to still stick with Kalen Balage. I'm going to still take him. I'm going to take him at the end of the first round, if for nothing else, to stand on a soapbox and still say I believe. Um, because I, I like him as a player. I, I really do. And I think that, again, I think there's a high variability as to where he's going to have to go. I do think he's going to have to go to a team that uses him um, very well. Um, but I do think he could be a mismatch as a wide receiver slash running back in the NFL, provided he's given 
a little bit more of an opportunity to be in a gap type scheme where he's given decisions at the line of scrimmage that are easy and understandable. And then you let him work in space. When he gets to the second level, let him go. Once he's at the second level, I think he's way more perceptive. He's way more aware. And I think he's better in the open field. And I think that as a pass catcher and as a, as a wide receiver, I think he might be the best route runner in this class in terms of running backs. Matt, quick question on him. Obviously, you've studied him intently and you like him a lot. I know he's a big, strong guy, but he also can get his pads up at times. Do you yes. think he's a goal line back? I mean, that's yeah. huge, obviously, for, for fantasy. No, I don't think so, Matt. And I think that's a good point. Um, I, I don't think he's a guy that's a – I don't think he's going to be a guy that they're going to look to in the red zone unless you're talking about him being part of the backfield in a red zone situation where he's, let's say, in a gun set with uh, your tight end on your right and your wide receiver and your running back on your left in a gun set like a twin set. If you got those guys in that split back type of look, then you can have them attacking the flats concurrently – and using him as a passing weapon, but no, do I think yeah, he's that's gonna what, be a, not what I was talking about at all? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Him on the one and be a brute. Yeah, no, no. I and, and that's why. <laughs> you know what though? But that's to be honest with you. But that's I knew you wanted me to talk about that, and that's why I was saying. You know what? He's going to have to be in a team that's going to see that not as being the most important thing for me. You know. So yes, I agree with you. I don't see him climbing the back of an offensive guard and yeah. pushing the pile. I don't see him that way. Not at all. That's not him. All right, this is the 1.11. It's my last pick. I'm going to have to go back to the wide receivers. Uh, no running backs I love at this point in the draft. Uh, I, I see I see three guys that are really close for me. Uh, if, if you ask me tomorrow, I, I probably would take a different one. But this time I'm going to take James Washington, wide receiver, Oklahoma State. And I like that pick a lot. Matt, like we'll, we'll let you finish up with the final pick of the draft. Yeah, and uh, – I'll take Calvin Ridley. He might be the first receiver <laughs> off the board. If I get him at 12, he might be the number one receiver for the Ravens next year. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong in the last week. No, no. I, like like Matt mentioned earlier, I think some people might be concerned about the jumps or the athleticism. You certainly mm-hmm. can't question the the route running and what we saw on the field, even with some poor quarterback play. Uh, there, there are some nits to pick there, whether it's age or lack of touchdowns. He's skinny too. Right, right. The BMI is, is going to be pretty bad. But uh, again, that's picking nits. His his on-field performance was certainly strong. And again, this is a guy who was in the conversation to be a top three or four rookie pick. Uh, and I think he's I think he's probably still the first wide receiver drafted, maybe even a top 10 or 15 pick in the NFL draft. So to get that that player at 12 overall. Is, is still pretty good. Uh, looking Ryan, at some, I think we did this exercise two weeks ago, and I think he went sixth. Yeah, yeah. You so, know, so that just goes to show, really. I, I think Chubb and Michelle are, are kind of locking themselves into top five spots, but after that, you know, you're going to see more and Jones and Johnson and Penny. All of those guys, they might go five, they might go thirteen or fourteen overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, Balage was Balage. Calvin Ridley should have went way over Balage, in my opinion. And <laughs> and the reason, the yeah, and and the reason is is that I I guess um, for me is I wanted to just kind of get my guy, so to speak. But Calvin Ridley, I mean, in a rea- and if we were doing this and we were all in a league together, I really should take Calvin Ridley anywhere, probably just after Nick Chubb. So once I took Nick Chubb, 
Calvin Ridley should have been my guy. If if I'm going to be honest about being in a league, what would I do? I would probably take Calvin Ridley above Kalen Balaj before we even got there. Looking at some players, and again, we just do a one-round draft, and, and we uh, have talked for a, a long time about the depth of this class. Looking at some players who uh, in this scenario would fall to the second round, Royce Freeman had a, had a strong combine, as you guys mentioned earlier, Christian Kirk, Equinemia St. Brown, John Kelly, Michael Gallup, uh, and all the quarterbacks, of course, Dallas Goddard, a tight end we didn't talk about, didn't do very much at the combine. Uh, I think a lot of people still view him as the tight end one, and then Gasicki and Andrews, other tight end options who could be could sneak into that late first, early second round range of dynasty rookie drafts as well. Well, Matt, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. You always bring some some knowledge, and uh, we love it. We just eat it up. Before we go, though, tell all our listeners where they can find your work. No, thank you so much, guys. Again, it, it really is a privilege. You can find me at Matty underscore S to S. You can find uh, our products and our, our podcast, Saturday to Sunday football.com. You can find us at S to S football. And if you're interested, you know, we put together our premium content, which contains four notebooks. Um, you get four notebooks. You get two from right from the beginning, which are our scouting notebook, which includes all of our film notes, um, as well as our rankings. Um, you also get our rankings notebooks, which includes our rankings for these players, tiers, each of our tiers, Paul's tier, my tier. Uh, you get our Devi rankings, which will be updated soon. You'll also get the um, high school incoming freshman notebook where you'll get uh, my top 50 incoming freshmen. And so you get a fan chance to see what you think of those guys. And then, of course, you'll get uh, Paul's basic uh, you know, draft guide, which he's putting a ton of work into, which really is unbelievable in terms of predicting um, where these guys end up falling. It's, it's really a great package and um, definitely would love you guys to check it out. It's how you support the show and how you support us. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I have seen, uh, seen that work myself and, and it is really good. I keep going, going back to it uh, really just uh, every week as I try to learn more about these players and get myself ready for rookie drafts and things like that. So I can definitely vouch for the quality there and, and suggest everyone go check that out. Matt, thanks again for joining us. We'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint. Blueprint.